You are listening to the Engineering Ignition Podcast, your weekly insight into the engineering sector. Sponsored by Bonfire Recruitment, helping engineering leaders across the UK to attract the best talent for their engineering company. Ignite your business or career today by visiting www.bonfireengineering.com. Here's your host, Scott Buchanan. Welcome back to another edition of the Engineering Ignition Podcast with myself, Scott Buchanan. I'm a director here at Bonfire Recruitment. Um, And today I am delighted to be reunited with uh, Dr. Stephen Fox, who is the the founder and managing partner now of the EP Group. Steve, how are you getting on? Hi, Scott. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, it's... um... Interesting times, of course, globally, but uh, we're getting there and we've got some interesting stuff to talk about today. Indeed, and uh, we'll, we'll go into a hot topic shortly, but I was re- I was relating on um, our conversation previously, and it turns out we were doing that in the thick of lockdown in 2020. Now, there, there's obviously the, the, you know, the, the obvious question around uh, what have you been up to, but if we think of how the world has evolved... You know that's it's it's incredible. But um, knowing you a little bit, um, Doctor Fox, what, what what have you been up to that that may tie into to what the world is doing at the moment? Well, obviously, being in the uh, energy business and particularly energy efficiency and sustainable energy, that has, for the obvious reason, reason of the um, invasion of Ukraine, become a hot topic again. So that's made us really busy. Um, and also, of course, you know, lockdown and COVID has not been easy. I don't think it's been easy for anybody. But it's amazing some of the things that happened during that period. For instance, we started an entire project in Kenya without going to Kenya. We had a Kenyan company that we sort of knew approached us about working with us. Wow. Which we just recreated an entire project that lasted a year and a half, and we're now kind of building on, on that to do something else. So, And it was only um, in the summer this year that we met our Kenyan partner physically for the first time. So that was weird. <laughs> but yeah, wow. it's incredible what you can do. Um, in, indeed, what, what was the project, Steve? What was the angle? Um, well, we developed a business model um, with the help of some UK government money called ESCO in a Box, Energy Service Company in a Box. And it was a way of making it easy for small consultancy companies or local economic development agencies to develop a service where they could offer financed energy services to SMEs and and other businesses. And so we did that here and it's growing here. We've got six applications here in the UK, in different parts of the UK. And then we did it in Kenya. Um, we've also got one going in the US and we've got one going in the Philippines. And again, we've never been to the Philippines. So it's kind of <laughs> interesting what amazing the power of this kind of video technology, which is science fiction and has come true in this regard. Um, it's amazing what we've been able to do without physically going there. It is incredible, isn't it? And um, it's, it's quite interesting. As, as you know, we as a business, we, we were always focused on you know, being ahead of the times for the times caught up, but because of COVID with our video interviews tools that, you know, we've been using since 2015, you know, it's it's, it's interesting how now the quality of these um, tools can actually evolve and is very helpful for t- today-to-day living. 
Um, so in, incredible. So you've you've. It sounds like you're trying to get good locations to go on business trips rather than holidays. I'm sure, but. Um, you touched on obviously the the the, the war scenario and the, the the kind of times that we're in versus I guess we were always and you and I have always talked about you know sustainable energy and green focus within engineering and a better way of doing something. You know what what is that actually meant now in terms of where you've got to in terms of what your focus is? Well, I think two things. I mean, one obviously the fundamental business that we're in of energy efficiency and sustainable energy is. That's finally really coming of age and it's really accelerating and there's just so much work, so many companies who are committed to net zero and all of that and that's certainly going to continue. But the effect that COVID had on us really was to make us sit back and think about what we really wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And thinking a lot about all of the sustainability issues, not just energy, but environment, biodiversity, but also the social issues, um, inequality and so on, and governance issues, which is why ESG is such an important phrase, but we have to think about the S and the G as well as the E. So ESG um, you know, has, has risen up the agenda incredibly, particularly in the financial world and, and amongst the investors. But we were you know, thinking about not only what we actually do in terms of the business, the, the physical stuff that we do or the intellectual stuff we do that helps advance the energy transition, but also how we design the business to make it um, more coherent with those kind of issues and to make it more focused on solving those things and having a bigger purpose. So, so we used COVID to kind of sit back not sit back and relax, but sit back and rethink how to do the business, how to design the business. And uh -huh. that got me and, and, and the rest of the team really into this whole question, which I think is now one of the most fundamental questions that we all face. It's how do you design enterprises? What enterprise design do you need to try and address these big environmental, social and governance issues? And it's a topic that's only just starting to be talked about. It, it, it's incredible. And I'm not going to say I've been ahead of the times. It's I certainly tried to be, but it's ironic because one of the, on that original series we did of the podcast, um, Anima Cozy was there and we talked of the ESG concerns within that. Um, and at that point, although it was very common in that lady's world, it was something that certainly hasn't been mentioned. And as, as you've rightly said, in, in this modern way of looking at, we do need to consider both the, you know, the environmental, social um, impact as well, and uh, the governance behind it, of course. So all, all changing. So I guess that, that leads nicely on to our hot topic of, um, well, I guess what we're saying is designing enterprises for true sustainability. Now, you, you've clearly had time to, well, whether you've had time or not, but you've certainly done your diligence and your research in coming up with the model or a model or some models that you think may be the right method to do. What, what does that look like now? And, and for people that may not be aware of, of what that, that, that does look like, how, how can, you, can you give some detail around that, please? Sure. I mean, I, I kind of would start with the statement and the position that I think 
you know, free enterprise and capitalism is the best way of solving the problems that we have, particularly around the environment. But I think the problem has been this sort of prevailing model of shareholder primacy, you know, shareholder driven capitalism. And now we're starting to see the rise of stakeholder capitalism where more people should be involved in, in decisions and, and the inputs and the considerations of those stakeholders need to be weighed equally um, against the rights and, and so forth of the shareholders in the traditional sense. You know, traditional shareholder primacy capitalism is all about shareholders control everything, shareholders get all the rewards. And, you know, we see the worst excesses of that every day, um, particularly in private equity and hedge fund world. You know, I think that's that's part of the problem. And I think that really does contribute to it. So, so it fits within that sort of trend towards stakeholder capitalism. And we, a lot of people have written about that, like the World Economic Forum, the Business Roundtable, even companies like McKinsey. There's tons of stuff out there about that rise of stakeholder capitalism. So being drawn to that, I looked around and I was trying to work out what the best structure would be for the small group of companies that we had. And we really settled after a lot of thought and debate on this model called steward ownership. Right, okay. And uh, steward ownership has been around a long time. Um, and it's kind of more common than people think, but it's not really talked about. It's only just in the last year or two that people have started to talk about it much more here in the UK. Uh huh. Um, and the principle of steward ownership has got two key principles. One is self-governance, which means the people inside the company should control the the company and its mission. You know, so you, you're not going to be controlled by some external private equity shareholder who says, oh, sorry, okay. you missed your target by 50 yeah. quarter, you're out the door <laughs> to, to kind of oh. characterize the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So self-governance is really important. And the other one is that profits serve purpose, you know, so yeah, it's absolutely right. We all need to make profit. Businesses need to make profit, but profit should serve the purpose and the mission of the company. And when they are distributed, it should be distributed equally amongst stakeholders, particularly employees and people in the business. And that, you know, generally doesn't happen. So those are the two key principles, self-governance and profit serve purpose. So, so taking a step back, so, you know, what we're saying here is there's a, a leveling out, isn't there, around, you know, the you, what you want in a company, in good companies, and, you know, I, I see them every day, whereby, you know, they, they empower people to do a good job, and what this model allows, I guess, the individuals of the company, um, assuming there's profit for that to be shared within, within individuals without being a shareholder, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah, that, that's, that's part of it. I think the number of advantages, one, long-term stability, and I okay. think you know, it's clear we need more long-termism. We don't, you know, being driven by the quarterly numbers just is part of the general problem in society. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, it means your company is not going to be sold in three years' time. You, if you founders sell their companies to, to private equity or other financial institutions and three years later they get sold again and you've got this churn, which actually doesn't, produce anything worthwhile and, and it often ruins these businesses yeah and the ideas within it but 
Can you explain to me how, by having this shared ownership scenario, would prevent, I guess, that, that takeover scenario? Well, this is where it's sort of baked into the constitution of the company itself, you know, in the okay. articles and the shareholders agreement and all of that. And that's where you get down into the kind of nitty gritty weeds of how you make this happen. Uh-huh. And, you know, you can still have investors and investors can still make good returns, but they just need to buy into those principles. Um, okay. and, and an increasing number of shareholders, I think, are buying into those principles. Absolutely. No, and, and I, I do think one of the, the key pieces, again, since, you know, the world has looked at itself and trying to find a different ways of doing things, again, is more innovative ways of making money, I guess, as well. Um, yeah. And I think the other part of it really is this whole thing about purpose. People want and need purpose, and perhaps yeah. the thing has kind of accelerated that even more. And a lot of social problems, I think, are created by a lack of purpose. Um and say businesses need to have purpose. It's the idea of just going to work nine to five and not having a purpose is yeah. a problem, really. Yeah, and I, I and I guess, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I'm kind of in my head assuming then that sure that, that you know everyone's working to make money, but actually as part of the company, um, one would have commitments, I guess, within you know, within a different world, I guess, or adding value to the to the environment or similar. Is that the case? Or Well, I think that that's that goes to the purpose, you know, and I think there's more and more proper research and experience and evidence that shows that purpose driven companies outperform other companies that are just driven by finance yeah. um, that, you know, again, big companies like McKinsey, PwC, KBMG, you know, Deloitte, Harvard Business School, they've all done research that shows that purpose-driven companies outperform the market yeah. without yeah. a doubt. Um, so, so purpose is, is key to it. So, so what's your purpose then, Steve, if you don't mind me asking? Where's this all come, come from? Well, I think the, the purpose is about um, enabling other people to have a bigger impact on these problems like sustainability, whether it's energy or biodiversity or whatever, they're, they're all related. Um, so it's, it's creating a, a business form and a mechanism that enables other people to, to have the impact that they, they can have in their lives. And that's the important part. Um, I think there is also something around control and uh, you know, I had an experience when I was younger where my father worked for a manufacturing business that was taken over by one of the sort of go-go conglomerates he had back in those days. In the uh-huh. And they said, oh, you know, we'll keep this business, we'll grow it. And then like six months later, they figured out that the best bet was to sell the company for the, for the property and the land, oh, shut dear. the company down. That's kind of, so that sort of, I suppose, distrust of that shareholder, pure sure. shareholder capitalism, even though I'd studied business and worked in businesses, including some really you know, profit-orientated businesses yeah, yeah. in the financial world, doesn't quite sit well with me. And I think that's where yeah. it, it's not any purpose. It's about how you do things and the quality of, of how you do things is so important. Yeah, no, and that that's really... Yeah, there's clearly something. I knew there was something in the background there that was driving because, you know, I, th- I think certainly the way the world is focused at the moment, we are, we're all 
you know, I, th I certainly, you know, people are interested in what they do, but to 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 be as serious about what you are doing is is incredible, and and that's a, you know, some good writing behind it. So, how have you managed to get to a point where it's working for the business? I mean, what stages are we at for for Energy Pro? What 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 is important about what you're doing? Yeah, well, when we sat down to start thinking about this in the, in the depths of COVID. We still had four individual businesses. We had our consulting business. We had a business that had a joint venture with the Indian e company ESL, which we talked about last time I was on. Um, right. We had a um, company that worked with a merchant bank and we had a, a then very nascent, we just started it kind of architecture and design practice, but they're all like completely separate businesses. And we thought, well, we should put first of all we should put them into a group so we've now done that 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 takes much more time than you would think because you have to get hmrc approval and all that stuff so sort of working with the lawyers and the tax advisors um all of that takes time but we've achieved that and then we are at the point now where we we're in the middle of transitioning to this steward ownership where the control will sit with the stewards um and you know, we have four stewards who are partners in the business. They're also invested in the business, so they've got money at stake. Um, so they're both stewards and investors. Um, and we're in the middle of implementing that right now with a view to then using that platform to bring in other companies that either offering services or consultancy around different aspects of the sustainability world um, particularly where there's what we would call a network effect with us. So, for instance, um, you know, we do a lot of energy work and work with clients because batteries are a big thing at the moment. And so we're working yeah. with a battery company, I'm hoping to bring them on board. In the architecture and design practice, we do a lot, all of our buildings are timber, mass timber. So we're looking to bring on a, a, a mass timber specialist. But to build these individual businesses by what we call agglomeration rather than a conglomerate, so that each business can retain a high degree of independence, but yeah. still be part of this bigger group and get all the benefits of being in a bigger group. Got you. And supporting each of the business units accordingly. Exactly. And sharing and, sharing and probably complementing each other as well. Well. And, and are we, is that now live? Are we there? Is that on? Are we yeah, still? Well, it's happening as, as we speak, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> there are deals. Hot off the press. Good. There oh. are deals in progress. And what we find, you know, I think particularly in our energy world, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs who created energy related consultancies a while back are now getting offers from firms yeah. and private equity because it's the flavor. But there's still, I think, a lot of, founders who need to sell their business and want to sell their business because they're ready to retire or they're heading towards that point, maybe a few years out, but they don't want to sell to these, and I keep saying private equity, I do have some good friends in private equity, but I sort of characterize them as you know, <laughs> not the bad guys, but the, the part yeah. of the problem. You, you know, they don't want to just sell it to a fund, a private equity fund who then builds it up and then three years time sells it to somebody else. And they want some longer term legacy, I suppose is the word. And they also want their employees to be in a in a good environment that's okay. supportive and all the rest of it. So we find the reaction quite positive um, amongst many, many people in, in our kind of world. 
in the smaller consultancies or service businesses, founders who are thinking about retiring or some of them, you know, we're not saying they should retire because we want them to stay on and build the business, but sure. maybe three or four years out. So we think by agglomerating these businesses and ultimately um, moving towards listing the business, which sounds like a bit of a contradiction between listing and stewardship, but there isn't really one, you know, you can still have a listed stewarding business. business. So okay. that would give the founders who join the, the group liquidity. Um, and right. also by, by having liquidity in a bigger company that's listed, that's actually more valuable than, you know, selling your small consultancy to whoever. Yeah, no, very much so. And, and I guess, and I can see that working. I can get my head around that. Um, what I'm wondering is in the, the very simple way that in my experience of investors, and, and I'm sure it's not always the case, but there's quite a, you know, the, the, there's a return expected, isn't there? There's, you know, they're happy to invest, but happy to, there's a, and normally a deadline and normally a timeline accordingly. So, I mean, does that, does that have an impact at all in, in what you're you're trying to do or what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it it affects the investors that we can go to. Um, they have to be impact kind of investors who understand this stuff. But there's also a, a um, getting them over the the hump of understanding it because it's relatively new. Yeah, and also when you look at the maths of it, you know, even if you're a VC fund, you know, and as we all know, VC funds invest in a lot of companies and maybe one of them gets like a hundred to one win or whatever the numbers are and sure. that kind of makes up for all the rest that don't so you look at their average return i mean i think it's better than this but years ago there was a big study in the us that said the average return of all vc funds was negative four percent but i think maybe you know even if you say it's 15 percent overall that's probably not far from the truth so you can say you know instead of putting money into 10 things and one goes huge and it makes you 100% and overall yeah. 15%, it's much better to put money into long-term business that's going to give you the 15% yeah. over 10 years or whatever. Got you. Um, so it's a different kind of investor and I think that, you know, but the investment world is moving with the ESG and the impact stuff. It's moving towards us, I think. Yeah, and and I guess this impact piece as well from and I'm I'm very rusty in this is there's a way of assessing or similar isn't there around that and how you become a a B Corp and whatever else. Yeah, I mean B Corp is a, a specialised rating and we really like B Corp. I mean it, it's great, but we decided not to go down the B Corp route immediately because it doesn't actually address this kind of ownership stewardship kind of piece. It addresses lots of other good things and it's a great system, but we decided to do the stewardship thing first. I think the impact generally, you know, there's a lot of talk about impact investment and, and that's growing. And that's all about intentionality. You, you set out with the intention to create a positive impact, but it's really important that you measure it. So we in our businesses when we're looking at projects, I mean, not tiny little projects because we just can't do it on small projects, but bigger projects, we start out saying, what's our intended impact on this project? Or what's the client? More importantly, what's the client's intended impact? What are they trying to do? And then 
tracking that and measuring it at the end and, and saying, okay, we've achieved this level of impact, not just a financial impact, but number of um, you know people employed or number of people who come and visit a newly refurbished building that was standing empty before, you know, all those kind of impact factors. So yeah, intention, intentionality and measurement are really critical to impact. Got you, super. And is there many challenges, Steve? I mean, what have you had to endure, I guess, to get to, to this point? Or has it, been, has it been plain sailing, no doubt? Yeah, yeah, I don't think anything is plain sailing these days, is it? It just seems um, far from it. Um, I think, I mean, one, there's just been the general business challenges that everybody's facing and uncertainty in the world. Yeah, very much so. Fortunately, yeah. energy, as I say, is, is a hot topic and net zero and so on. That's still a growth business. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's always a challenge in standing up and doing something in a different way. Um, it makes it more difficult than just doing it the conventional way. We could probably yeah. just go out and raise money from private actually like that. <laughs> but can raise money from people who understand stewardship and impact, it's yeah. more difficult. Um, it's just a fact of life because I think we're still in the early days of this shift. You know, we're still at the bottom of the, of the curve, if you like. There's probably a massive educational piece there as well before the realisation as well. Um, I mean, we've been focused, I guess, thinking from a UK perspective, but as we know, we kind of, we think globally now. I mean, is there, is there other examples of countries or companies that have done this that, that maybe investors or similar could, could, could look at? Yes, it, it's actually much more common in Europe than it is here, particularly really? okay. Europe. Um, you know, the best example is Denmark, where 60% okay. of the Danish stock exchange companies are actually steward owned. So wow. you have some big names like Kobe, which is the big engineering company. It's like Arab. I, I'm not sure which is bigger. Very massive. Bigger. Yeah. That's massive. You know, it does everything from energy to structural engineering, bridges, dams, everything. You know, they're steward-owned by a foundation. Um, one that's not publicly listed, but is a well-known name, of course, is Bosch. Bosch is owned by a foundation. And you look into the history of Bosch and, and the founders figured all this stuff out a long time ago and set it up that way. Got you. Um, and then even Tata, um, the Indian conglomerate, yep. is owned by... Um, owned by a foundation now and, and it run pretty similar grounds. I mean, there are different shades of this stewardship, but they are a steward-owned company. Yes, it's the same. And, and then the one that's got the most publicity in the last few weeks, and again, sort of some definitional questions, but is Patagonia, which has <laughs> long been known for its um, environmental and sustainability, but the founders put all the equity into a foundation and it will be run for the foundation. For the foundation to achieve its purpose and these are massive massive companies aren't they i mean these are incredible and successful companies as well yeah exactly. um, which proves it absolutely works so and i guess what we're saying there and you've kind of demonstrated that in your you're kind of highlighting other countries and other companies is sure we're talking about sustainability and energy and and you know a green focus i guess but actually there's no limit on what this could mean 
effectively on the basis that you're focused in on a different model, you know, enabling purpose and enabling something more than just a, a shareholding uh, profitability piece, which is... Yeah, well, I think, as, as I said, I think those, you know, clearly the environmental challenges we face are huge and it's really important that they get a high priority, but it's not the only problems, you know, the, these other social and, and so on problems need to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the way that so, we own enterprises and run them is kind of part of the problem. Right. So we've got your existing scenario. You're doing it. It's happening. You've got the model. It's mm -hmm. working. You've got the, you know, you've you've got you've done your research. It's all there. So how do we how do we go forward? How do we measure the success piece within this? And what's what are you keen to try and do, or maybe you're actioning at the moment around, you know, within the sustainable sustainability piece? Mm. Well, uh, first of all, we are raising capital to help kind of accelerate that strategy that we've got of acquiring businesses. And, awesome. you know, okay. We're in the middle of that, and again, we're talking to investors who understand it and, and like it, um, but always happy to talk to more investors. Okay. And, uh, you know, so that's number one. And then I think, you know, if we kind of fast forward a year or two years, maybe, then, you know, we'd want to have seen this model of bringing other companies into this agglomeration, into the group in the way that we're talking about to have been implemented, you know, maybe five or 10 times. It's, um, wow that we've got a system that is repeatable and, and yeah, is attractive to people. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm really impressed, I think, certainly um, to think of what you've been involved in, and I still relate back to the, the initial series of, uh, you know, what you did in India, uh, which was leading the way, and actually to think of you, you you're almost, um, you know, you're, you're using you, know, you can do these large-scale projects, and actually, I have no doubt um, that you will do this. Um, uh, it's just more what that looks like. I mean, you've, you've touched there earlier from timber to you know uh, to technology. So, so who knows what what it's it's like? But it's about adding purpose, isn't it, and enabling um, you know environmental concerns as as much as the, the social and governance as well, which is exactly. which is good. Um, Super. Well, Steve, I must thank you for your time today, and um, I look forward to to hearing and reading, no doubt, um, what you get up to over the, the foreseeable future. Many thanks. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Engineering Ignition podcast. If you've made it this far, we take it that you enjoyed the show. In return, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Subscribe while you're there, and we'll catch you for the next episode.